Welcome to the Every Nation Dorado Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. This morning we've got a great privilege of having Pastor Roger with us. <laughs> for, for those, he, he prefers to go by Roger. And uh, for those of you who, who don't know him, Pastor Roger oversees uh, the, the churches in the Southern African region as the apostolic oversight. He leads the elders in the Johannesburg, the Johannesburg Church, overseeing 10 churches. And he's got such a passion to see people being equipped to make disciples and sent out to impact the nations. He's married to one woman. Nicole, and they've got two children, uh, James and Sean, who love the Lord. And I really just want to encourage us that whenever there's apostolic leadership in the house, our hearts are open because God is dropping mantles and destinies are being unlocked. And, and so, Pastor Roger, if you will come up, we just receive you as sent from heaven for us. So, won't you just stretch your hands, stretch your hands, and Father, we thank you, Lord God, that we are one spirit here Amen. this morning, Lord. We thank you for the word that you will deposit, Lord, the gift that you will deposit, Lord. And our hearts are excited and open for what you're doing this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. I hope that you recorded that because I want to give it to my mother-in-law, you know, that, that, that introduction. <laughs> It is a great joy to be with you, and I just want to say to every one of you in this church, you're a great people. You're a great people. This is a great church. Never, never undervalue what you've got. I recently visited our European churches, and I came back with such a fresh realization of the relationships and the revival that is happening in our midst. And so from your leaders, from Pastor Christopher and the elders and the pastors, to all of you, you're a great people. And I just want to honor you. And uh, graduates, wow, congratulations. Congratulations. I bring you greetings from your family in Johannesburg. So that one picture there with the man in the middle with the blue hat, that's Pastor Simon. Many of you know him. He's now the senior pastor of Every, Every Nation Rosebank, which was the church that I did pastor until about a year ago. And him and Lindy are just doing a phenomenal job there. And uh, it's a picture of my family on the side. And uh, my eldest son starts working next year in Cape Town. He's got such a heart to change the nations. And uh, my boys love going on missions. Every single December, what they do is they go on missions. And uh, recently, my son went on a mission to London, to the London campuses, Every Nation campuses. And um, to attract a crowd, there was this restaurant that was selling the hottest chilies in the world. So they decided to attract a crowd by eating these chilies in front of everybody. And uh, that was the end of them for a day. <laughs> so, so he WhatsApped us and we said to him, well done on your zeal. And we just pray more wisdom, Lord, more. <laughs> then my other uh, slightly smaller one, Sean, he is um, coming into campus ministry next year. He's giving a year. He's just graduating his undergrad degree. And he's just got such a heart for the Lord. My wife, Nicola, and I have been married 26 years. And an incredible intercessor. Let's never undervalue our intercessors, those men and women who stand in the gap. And uh, anyway, greetings and love from my family and our spiritual family in Johannesburg to you. I want to give you a quick feedback, just one slide of what's happening internationally and in Southern Africa. And I can't do it. Uh, I want to focus on the word primarily. 
Let me just touch on two things. Firstly, in July this year, I had the privilege of sitting with some of our international leaders. And the focus of the meeting was how do we ensure post-founder sustainability? Because our churches and this movement is not about us. It's about the Lord and it's about the next generation. And I'm so glad that we're giving attention while we are strong. How do we hand the baton over to you and the next generation? So that was the picture on the side. And the other picture was there was a songwriter's workshop in South Africa. And uh, a whole lot of people got together and, and wrote songs. And uh, we're going to do this more often. And uh, they were trusting for five great songs. And they wrote 20 songs, of which 10 of them are really fantastic. And um, if... <laughs> so if you're a songwriter, speak to your pastors and, and send your name, because we're going to do it again um, in Franschhoek in the Western Cape. So you can come suffer for Jesus near Stellenbosch and come write songs with the songwriters. <laughs> I want to go to the Word. Um, and as we go to the Word, I'm looking at the life of Isaiah and how he came into his destiny, how he came into the fullness of what God had for him. And there are three questions to come into the fullness of your destiny. Three questions that you need to answer. Who sits on the throne? Who dies on the altar? And who will go? We're reading Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to, him, flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and say to this people. The context of this verse starts off with saying, in the year that King Uzziah died. This describes a, a crisis in the nation. Previous to King Uzziah had been a very bad king in Judah, who had brought the kingdom of Judah into a crisis. They'd been conquered. The walls had been pu pulled down. Gold had been stolen from the temple. That was under Amaziah. But now King Uzziah is raised up. And speaks in scripture in 2 Chronicles 26 that the Lord made him exceedingly strong. And Judah became exceedingly strong. Now he had reigned for 52 years. Imagine you'd had a president since 1966. Most of you weren't even born before 1966. And he had brought peace and prosperity to the nation. And there'd been blessings to the nation. So now, in the year that he dies, you can imagine the people are saying, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to our land? And what's going to happen to our nation? 
And at that moment, he sees the Lord. At that moment, he gets a vision of God. And I want to say to you that what you see and what your vision of God is, and secondly, what you see about yourself is actually the most important thing about you. How you see God, your vision of him, and how you see yourself is the most important thing. It defines you. For instance, if something really bad has happened to you, do you see yourself as a victim? Or do you, sell, do you see yourself as somebody who maybe has been victimized, and yet you're a son, you're a daughter of the Most High? How you see yourself and how you see God is the most important thing about you. The Word of God says, without vision, my people perish. And here he gets a vision, not of man, but he gets a vision of the Lord, seated on the throne, high and lifted up, the train of his robe. You know, it's not just women who have trains when they get married. <laughs> the Lord is a train, and it's so big that it just fills the temple. He gets a vision of God. It was the great Helen Keller who was blind. She said, worse than not being able to see is to not have any vision at all. And so we have this situation with, with, with the seraphim, these fiery angelic creatures, angels, but higher than angels. They, they are crying out, holy, holy, holy. And the, the whole earth is full of his glory and, and, and the temple shakes. This holy, holy, holy is called the trihagios, three times holy. To say that God is holy once should be enough. To say that God is holy twice is emphatic. To say that he is holy, holy, holy is absolutely superlative. Nowhere in scripture do you see it being said that God is powerful, powerful, powerful. Or loving, loving, loving. But you see it here and you see it in Revelations where he is described as holy, holy, holy. What does this mean? He is pure, and he is set apart, and he is excellent, and he is infinitely unique in his brilliance and his superlativeness. And the seraphim are beholding him, and they are seeing more of his holiness, and they're going, holy, 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 and, and more holy and more holy. We do well to see God properly. We do well to see God as holy. They're fascinated with his holiness, and it's progressive. They continue to sing, holy, holy, holy. They can't get enough of it, and they con continue to adore his holiness. Have you ever gone for a, a job interview, and you're sitting in the room um, with the other people before you go in, and you look at the people around you, and you go, I'm in trouble? <laughs> or maybe young men... Young man, you're attracted to a beautiful Christian young lady because we don't get attracted to beautiful non-Christian ladies. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And you see the competition, the other men, and you go, woe is me. <laughs> or maybe you're tendering and you just look at the competition. Isaiah sees the Lord and his response to his, his holiness is, is, woe is me. You know, we do well not to compare ourselves against each other. If we're going to do a comparison, we compare ourselves to God. The second thing is glory. There's a revelation 
of his glory. No longer is Isaiah concerned about that King Uzziah has died. He is beholding his holiness and he's beholding his glory. Now, glory literally means weight. And when we talk about the glory of God, we're talking about the permanent versus the temporary. God's glory versus us and this world. It's the permanent versus the temporary. God's glory is permanent. It's substantial. The weighty. It's the, it's the important versus the unimportant. The illusory, or the, or the real rather, versus the illusory. Friends, God alone is permanent. God alone defines reality. And I want to do an illustration here this morning. I'm not quite sure how I'm going to do it. Because I don't want to splash um, the, the pastor Christopher doesn't mind. So, glory is weighty. And, and you and I are this water in the bucket. When the brick drops, you know it's going to happen. Pastor Christopher is going to get wet. Which we won't do. Maybe we'll do it in the second service. <laughs> but, but you know what happens? When the weighty comes in, everything else gets changed around. This water displaced and rapidly. When Paul has an encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road, he is undone. When we have a true encounter with God and his presence, and his glory. The furniture of our lives gets rearranged. We come away changed. So my question to you is, have you experienced his presence? Have you experienced his glory? Because if you have, things will change. And if things haven't changed in your life, then maybe you haven't really said, Lord, I want you. Maybe you haven't really invited him in. Because if you invite him in, he will come. He will come with his holiness and he'll come with his presence and he'll come with his glory and you will be changed. The third thing that is obvious in this image is the authority of God. He's high and lifted up and, and, and the angels stand in his presence. They stand at attention. And I want to ask you a question. Do you have a low or a high view of God? A low view is I fit God into my life as it suits me, as is convenient for me. A high view of God is, I'm undone. I'm, un I'm undone by His beauty, by His glory, by His presence, and by His holiness. So who sits on the throne? Is it you? Do you sit on the throne of your life? You decide? Or is it God but small g? Pastor Steve Mill tells a story in one of his books about finding one of his sons climbing into the refrigerator and him saying to him, boy, you can't do that, you know, wait, wait for supper time. And uh, his son started to negotiate with him and he says to his son, who's in charge, you or me? And he says, both of us, daddy. <laughs> Is that your answer to God? Who sits on the throne? It's you and me, God. Or do you have a high view of God? Isaiah had a high view of God, and he was changed from that moment. He became the prophet to the nations. He came into the fullness of his destiny. You want to walk in the fullness of who God has called you to be? Let him be on the throne. Let him be on the throne of your life.
Let His glory come in and yield yourself to Him. The second thing, or the second question that we need to answer is who dies on the altar? Some people say there is no need. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. You know, people who say there is no need for sacrifice, they just stay in bondage. They just stay in darkness. They just stay in depression. When you deny sin, when you deny what has happened, you become like, like Adam and Eve who tried to define what is right and wrong. You try to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you try to say, there is no sin. Nobody needs to die on the altar. I don't need somebody to pay the price for what I've done. So some people say, no need. Some people say, I do. And these are the religious people. You know what religion, you know what religion is? I make myself clean. By living such a good life, I stand before God as you know, I'm not as bad as Adolf Hitler. I'm a, I'm a good person. Your good works are like filthy rags before the Lord. If you want to stand before God and His holiness. Now you should do good works. But you do that from the place of being forgiven. And from the place of having received His love and His mercy. But if you're standing here today saying, you know, I don't need Jesus. I'm a good person. I lovingly say to you, you are deceived. Your good works will not stand before God and His holiness. The third and the only answer that makes sense is the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world, who came because He loves you, who said yes to the Father's will that He would come to take away your sins. You know, sometimes when I'm struggling to forgive people, do you ever be irritated with somebody and, you know, Sometimes when I'm really struggling, like just sometimes even in marriage, I'm like bugged with my wife. I know none of you ever have those problems with your marriages, you know. I just, I go away, I just pull aside and I go like, let me just consider the sins that God has forgiven of. And then I find it easy to forgive. <laughs> I, con I contemplate my life and I think what the Lamb of God has done for me. And I say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. How can I not love? How can I not forgive? The gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death that we should have died in our, pla in our place. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he is the son of God and offering the gift of salvation and forgiveness of sins for all who repent and believe. Dr. Rice Brooks. So what happens, the seraphim comes, and remember they are fiery creatures, but they can't even touch this. Comes with the tongue and puts it on his lips and says, your sins are forgiven. Brothers and sisters, we all need this. We all need the cleansing and the washing that only comes from the altar, that only comes from the Lamb of God. And, and if you are here today and you're in a place of I'm not right with God. You know what? You don't clean up your act. You don't clean up your act. What you need to do is repent. What you need to do is just with humility say, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live with a people of unclean lips. I'm caught, in a, I'm caught in a deep well and I'm covered in mud. I 
can't even clean myself. It's mud everywhere. You don't clean yourself, but you ask Jesus. And the Lamb of God cleanses you. The third question that we answer is who will go? You know what is incredible about this story? He gets a revelation of God. He gets a revelation of his brokenness. He gets cleansed. I mean, just seconds ago, he was saying, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And now he's saying, I will go. Isn't that amazing? But this is the kingdom of God. When you think of David, King David, after he sinned terribly with Bathsheba and and killing Uriah, Psalm 51, he writes it. And he says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew in me a right spirit. And then you know what he says? He says, then I will teach sinners your ways. Do you see the turn? The turn is quick. I'm so glad you did Bible school. I'm so glad you studied. But you don't have to do this before you can speak about Jesus. The Bible does say study to show yourself approved. So well done. But God can use and wants to use every one of us. Every day. And even if you woke up and you kicked the dog and you were grumpy and then you get into the traffic and you're on the taxi and you see somebody and you feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit and you go like, no, I can't. You know, I kicked the dog and whatever. No. God wants you to say, here I am. So to the question of who will go, some say no one. No one will go. No one need go. And you know why? These are people who do not have a revelation of God's love and His holiness. The Bible says, He who has been forgiven much, loves much. And if you are someone who lives with the revelation of His forgiveness, you will love. If you've been loved, you will love. And you won't fall into this trap of saying, no one need go. You will say, yes, other people need to hear this good news. Other people need to receive the mercy and the goodness of God. Sometimes as Christians... We fall into this trap of saying, who will go? Everybody else will go. Somebody else will do it. It's called the bystander effect. It's a sociological phenomena whereby if we're all here and if we all can do it, all of us are able to do it, often nobody will do it because we all expect somebody else to do it. But if you're the only one there, you are more likely to help the person. The bystander effect stops us from stepping into our destiny. The bystander effect holds us back because we think, oh, well, the pastor should do it or somebody else should do it. But I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to be a bystander. Very sad story in China in 2011. A young two-year-old girl, Wang Yu, was hit by a small white truck in the city of Foshan, China. Lying in the road, bleeding, pool of blood all around her. People walked around her. People stepped over her. People avoided the blood. A total of 18 people stepped around her until a much larger truck came, plowed into her, hit a second time. And then finally, somebody called for help, rushed her to hospital, and very sadly, she died. Eight days later. And when they did the research, what happened, people? Everybody said, well, I thought somebody else was going to do it. I thought somebody else was going to do it. You know, God has chosen to use you and I. 
There's no, he's going to send the angels. On rare occasions, he sends angels. For the most part, you know what he does? He uses you and I to bring help, to bring love, to bring the gospel, to stand in the gap and pray, to serve as an usher, to go evangelizing. He uses us. There's no plan B. There's plan A only. And that plan A is you and I. So to the question of who will go, the answer must be here I am. Here I am. Send me. You know, there's a verse in Philemon, verse 6. There's only one chapter in Philemon. It says, Paul writing to Philemon, he says to him, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing you have in Christ. Think about that. He's saying, I pray that you will be sharing your faith. I pray that you'll be living your faith because as you do, you will have a full revelation of who and what you are. And the inverse of that is if you're not sharing your faith, if you're not living your faith, you won't realize all that you have in God. I've got a, a long testimony, but I'll, I'll, I'll make it very short. I, I changed my exercise routine. I now run in the secular running crew to share the gospel. And sometimes I get subtle persecution and sometimes I have amazing breakthroughs and I pray for people and they started to come to church and and this one time, straight off the run, we're all sitting having coffee. And this one American girl married to a Dutch guy, she says to me, Roger, what do you do? And, you know, sometimes I tell them a long story. You know, I was in business and, you know, I draw them in. And sometimes I tell them I'm a cultural architect. They're like, what's that? And then I tell the story. And this time I just said, I'm a pastor. And her response was, Jesus. And I said, yes, him. <laughs> I said, so if you come on a, to church on a Sunday, you'll see young people, black and white and colored and Indian, everything, worshiping God together. And this is what we do and orphans and all this. And she said, my God. And I said, yes, your God. <laughs> she sent me that message, text message. Roger, if you have time for lunch, let me know. I have 1.7 million conversation topics to discuss with you. And so has begun a journey of having her and her husband and her kids for supper and they don't eat meat, you know, and it's vegan and, you know, and we don't eat this and parsley. You know, it's just like, but for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the gospel, we will do it. We are saying, here I am. Send me. As I begin to wrap up, I want to give you 12 things that you can do easy. These are easy things that you can do. Easy, easy. If you're going to take a picture, this is the picture. If, if you're going to wake up, now's the time to wake up, okay? <laughs> These are 12 things that you can do as Christians easily. And I encourage you to trust God to do them every day. And uh, this is adapted from Tim Keller, so about half of it is his. Firstly, pray and ask God for opportunities. If you're saying, here I am, send me, ask God every day. Lord, who can I speak to? Who can I touch? Secondly, just start conversations. Just be a bit friendly. Just set aside a bit of time. Imagine if the Good Samaritan was too busy, you know, to help the man on the road. Just give a bit of time in your day to people at work, on the way to work, whatever. Thirdly, let people know that you're a Christian just in a natural way. I'm sorry I didn't drop the brick in the bucket because then you could have told him, you know, Talking to, how was your weekend? Oh, I went to church and this crazy man dropped a brick in a bucket and splashed Pastor Christopher. But by that, you're telling them that you're a Christian and you go to church and it means something to you. 
Ask people about their faith. Ask them about what they believe. And then just listen to them. Five, listen to your friends' problems. Take time to be compassionate. And then offer to pray for them. You'll be surprised. Most people, even who don't believe, even who are Jewish or Muslim or whatever, they will let you pray for them. And you know what's going to happen one day? You're going to pray for somebody and the presence of God's going to show up. And they'll be like, what was that? And you'll say, it's God. It'll be the start of something. Share your problems with others. Tell them about what you're going through. Tell them about how your marriage was in a mess, your finances were a mess, and you prayed and you trusted God and He came through for you. Help people in their time of need. Help them move. If you've got money, help them with finances. Look after their kids. Help people in their need. Number eight, share your story about God transforming your heart and your life. Tell them, this is what I did with that, that girl. I told her about, I used to smoke marijuana. I used to steal from bottles. I mean, I told her the things of my life, not to glory in my past, but I told her. And then the peace and the joy. I told her how depressed I was and how sad I was and how dark it was. And then Jesus. And I told her that story. Sometimes give people a Christian book. Take time and buy something for them. Be ready to answer their questions with gentleness, which means you've got to go to Bible school. <laughs> which means you've got to study to show yourself approved. If you don't know how to answer people, then study. Learn how to do it. Invite people to connect groups. Um, obviously, you have to be in a connect group yourself to do that. Do you understand that? <laughs> so if you're not in a connect group, get into a connect group and then invite them to your connect group. And then offer to do one-to-one -one with them. Offer to read the Bible to them. People will respond. These are things that we can do as believers. So, final point, final slide, recap. Who sits on the throne of your life? Who dies on the altar? Are you trying to do this in your own righteousness? Are you burdened by sin? And lastly, to the question, who will go? What is the answer of your heart? No one, everybody else, or here I am, send me. Let's bow our heads in prayer. I want to give an opportunity. If you hear and... Uh, when you consider the holiness of God and you consider the, the pain and the mess of your life, you realize that you're not in a good place. You are still on the throne. Or you're fighting for the throne with, with God. And, and you, you're possibly in, in this place of your sins still being on you. You haven't confessed them and you haven't given yourself to God completely. Maybe you've backslidden, or maybe you've never truly surrendered. And I want to give you an opportunity. It doesn't, doesn't mean you, you're joining this church. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I am going to ask you to be decisive. And if your life is not right with God, and, and you want His mercy, and you want His forgiveness, then I want to pray for you. I'm going to ask you, you're doing this for God, and you're doing this for yourself. Just, if that's you, just lift up your hand. And by lifting up your hand, you're saying, God, here I am. Forgive me. Is there anybody here? That's one, just one hand there. Can we all stand together, church? I, I, I just saw one lady and 
would you mind coming forward? I want to pray for you. The Bible says the angels rejoice over one sinner, and we're all sinners who come to repentance. Could we just celebrate as she comes forward? There, there is no shame in this. We're already all shamed outside of Jesus. There's no shame. This is, this is wonderful. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Pray this prayer aloud. Church, stand with her and pray this prayer aloud with her. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus I, repent. I repent. I stop doing it my way. I choose to follow you. Come into my life. I declare that you are my Lord. I receive you as my Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you just go with it, sister, please. Okay, church, what I want us to do is quickly pray um, for more power and for more grace. Can we do that? If you want more power, more grace to, to go and to touch people, if you are saying, here I am, send me, just lift up your hands quickly. Lord, as we lift up our hands, we are saying, Lord, fill us with power. We are saying, Lord, quicken us. We're saying, Lord, more of you and less of us. We're saying, Lord, you be on the throne of our lives, Lord God. Thank you for loving us first. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for cleansing us. And because you've done this, we say, yes, Lord, we will go. And so we say, Lord, fill us afresh, quicken us, change the habits of our lives, cause us, Lord God, to be mighty for you and in you, and thereby walk into the fullness of our destiny. We pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit envintook.org.